If you were to think, what is the biggest problem with our world today? Because our world has multiple problems. And, and maybe you think, how do we fix this? How do we get a handle on the things that are unraveling around the world today? You know, not just in our country, but around the world. I think we all have an opinion about that. I think we all have ideas of how to fix things. What's interesting is this weekend we're going to look at a passage and Jesus is going to point out the real problem with our world and more importantly with us because we're part of the problem. The other thing is he's going to show us how to fix it. And, and, and so there's good things here. We can learn some good things. And we're not going to take away a, a, a cure for our world, but we can take away a prescription for our own lives. And, and maybe that's good enough, right? So this weekend, let's jump into Mark. We're in Mark's chapter 7. We are moving through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're at verse 14. And it's on, if you don't have a Bible, we have these nice chair Bibles. There's, and if you don't have a Bible at home and you'd like a hard copy, you can go ahead and take one of these Bibles. The only request we make is use it. But uh, page 818... And uh, I'll, I'll begin reading. Now, there's two sections that we're going to read, and they almost seem like when we begin to talk about them, they have really nothing to do with each other, but they have everything to do with each, with each other. And I'll try to show you the connection as we move through this passage this weekend. Uh, so let me begin reading Mark 7, verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me everyone. And understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of the person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. So Mark makes a kind of an editorial comment, and it's in your translations, it might be in parentheses or something, and it says this, and we don't have time to go into this, but in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now we jump into kind of a transition, but again, I think these are tied together. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as, he, as she heard about it, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. She's demon-possessed. This uh, little girl and her mother comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, or a Syrophoenician woman. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon, uh, drive the demon out of her daughter, and he says this to her. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, two, they're real simple outline this weekend. The real problem we all have, the real problem we all have. The Mosaic law required worshipers to be ritually clean. Uh, they had to be physically and physically healthy. They, they were to have no contact with dead bodies uh, or animals. They were to abstain from a list of prohibited foods. You know that Jewish people, Hebrew people, were not to eat pigs and other unclean animals. Uh, these rules were to act as a visual aid to show anyone who wanted to approach God that they needed to be holy and clean. In other words, God was showing his people that you can't just ramble into my presence. There's clean and there's unclean. And so any disease, any decay, any dirt symbolize sin. Now what, has, what had happened through the years is the religious leaders saw ritual pure, purity not just as symbolizing holy, holiness, but constituting holiness. In other words, it wasn't just pointing them to their uncleanness. They saw that carrying out these rules made them holy before God and approachable to God. They believed that you could make yourself acceptable to God by carefully uh, staying uh, separate from unclean people and following these rules. Now, today, and this gets to where we're at in the 21st century we view the world and our culture views this world as the problem is our culture. It's, it's, it's external things. It's the things outside of us. It's our environment. It's where we were born. It's how we were raised. It's what other issues and traumas we may have suffered as we grew up. Those are what has caused the issues we have today. And many believe that to fix our world's problems... We need to fix our educational system. We need to have uh, people get a good education. We need plenty of scientific advancement because scientific advancement will help us be better people. We need economic development because if people are poor, then there's issues that go on with that. We need a global, global climate awareness, which has really become and gotten steam over the years. And we need a shared political ideology. We all need to be on the same page ideology, you know, our politics. We're not doing real well. <laughs> We're not really doing it. In other words, the problem is seen as outside of us. If we could fix these outside problems and have this perfect environment, then everything would be swell. But here's the problem. We could have the best environment possible, and we're not going to fix the problem. And that's essentially, I think, what Jesus is getting to. Jesus is saying, it's not what is outside of you that is corrupting you. Now, it can play a role in the pressures that you struggle with, but it's not wrecking you. If we're honest, we need to admit that we struggle, uh, even today, even in a great environment, we struggle with human rights and acknowledging the dignity of the individual. In our passage, Jesus is saying the real issue, the real issue is the human heart. The world is broken because we are broken. That's what Jesus is saying to us. 
Now again, uh, there's the, you know, there's pointing to the problem, and we don't like that because we want to say, well, we're, we're a product of our environment. If our environment is bad, then we'll be bad, or, and, and we like the simple solutions. But Jesus basically says, the problem is within you. And the Bible continually shows us the world is not divided between the good guys and the bad guys. We all have to take responsibility for the brokenness of our world. We all contribute to the brokenness of our world. If we're honest, we do that. If we're honest, we say that some of our relationships have been unhealthy because we've been part of those relationships. If we're honest, we could say some of our our family situations, our community situations, our work relationships have not been the best because we have been part of those. We have brought those on. Uh, Many of you have heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian novelist and historian, and he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1970. In 1945, he was arrested for writing a letter condemning Stalin. And and most of you know Joseph Stalin was a brutal dictator. Joseph Stalin um, exterminated at least a a conservative amount is a million of his own people. And probably led was part of exterminating at least a million more other people through the things that he did. Um, So uh, Stalin, basically, uh, as uh, Solzhenitsyn wrote this critical letter of Stalin, Stalin basically put him in jail, and he spent eight years in prison and labor camps, and he spent three more years in exile. This is what he writes, and it's very, it's so succinct, and it's so important, and I'll have the quote up there because I want you to see the quote that he writes. Here's what he says. The line between good and evil passes not through the states, nor through the classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. He's right. The problem isn't the environment that we're in. The problem is that we're in the environment. It's our heart. And if we look around thoughtfully, we have to admit that something is broken in our world, and Jesus is saying, it's us. Jesus is showing us the biggest problem with our world isn't external. It's what go, it isn't what goes into our bodies. It's, what, it's the human heart. And so all this outside-in cleaning, changing our environment, making it better. Listen, can it make our lives better? Can economic development and political, you know, being on the same page and all these other things, can, yes, they can help our environment, but it doesn't change the problem. The problem is within It doesn't deal with the human heart. That's why the prophet Jeremiah can say this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, cure, who can understand it? And so Jeremiah the prophet says the heart is the heart of the problem. We don't like to hear that, but it's God's truth. See, only when Jesus gives us a new heart can we begin to live as we were designed. So that's the first part of the passage. Jesus says, it's not, what, it's not what comes into your life that corrupts you. You are already corrupted. It's from within. But he gives us not only, he doesn't just point to the problem, he points to a solution. And that's the second point in your outline, the one and only cure for our problem. So this is where we get into this really interesting story where this Syrophoenician woman comes 
and, and she just throws herself at the feet of Jesus. It's just an incredible story. And there's a lot going on here, and I just want to flesh it out a little bit so we can dig in a little bit. Because I think it's such a great story, and Mark gives it to us, and Matthew kind of gives us kind of a little bit of a picture of it. But So Jesus is spending all of his time ministering to the Jewish audience, okay? So he's mostly Hebrew Jewish people are around him. And he's in these Jewish provinces. And he's overwhelmed, he's exhausted, and he finally grabs his disciples and he said, let's get out of here. And and they head into uh, uh, an area that um, they take a retreat to a Gentile area, Tyre. And the, the, the idea is that we're going to get some rest here. We need to get some rest. We need to get away. And by the way, this is the only time in the ministry of Jesus where he is recorded leaving Jewish territory and going into Gentile territory. It's the only time in Scripture. I don't think that's, I don't think that is by accident Mark is making a point. So the woman, Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile pagan, an outsider, she comes to Jesus, she immediately falls at his feet, and she begins to beg him for her daughter. Her daughter is demon-possessed, we find out in the story. And so the woman comes in, she doesn't care that she's a woman, she doesn't care that she's an outsider, she doesn't care that she's a pagan, she doesn't care that she's unclean, she doesn't care that Jesus is a rabbi, and it's totally inappropriate for her to, to grab onto the feet of Jesus and beg for her daughter. She doesn't care about any of that. She just does it. Her daughter desperately needs healing. And as you look at the, the Greek here, it says that she kept on begging. She wouldn't stop. And you don't get this in Mark's gospel, but if you read Matthew's gospel, uh, the disciples get to a place where they go, send her away. Get rid of her, Jesus. Not, tell her to knock it off. But she won't knock it off. She wouldn't leave because her daughter was sick. If, you, if you're a parent... And your daughter is desperately sick. Is your son desperately sick? When your children are desperately sick, you will move heaven and earth for them. Am I right? You will do whatever it takes for them. This is that woman. She doesn't care who Jesus is. She knows that Jesus is her only hope. This is all she has. And, and her daughter is in desperate need. And she has an opportunity. And she is not going to let go of Jesus. Now, Jesus responds to her, and his response, as you read through it, seems almost like an insult. Let me read it to you, because I don't know if you caught it when we read through it. Here's what Jesus says to her. He says, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her. Now, what, and he says, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, that's a loaded statement. What Jesus is saying here is pretty loaded, because what Jesus is talking about the, the, the people at the, t- the children at the table refers to the pe- children of Israel, his people, the Hebrew people. Remember, he's in Gentile territory. And what he's saying, in, and the Hebrew people would call the Jewish, uh, or the, the, the Hebrew people would call the Gentile people uh, dogs. And most of us would say, you know, maybe you shouldn't call them a dog, but, you know, you can call them worse things than that, right? 
But in this culture, so I'm going to define dog in two different ways, so I'm going to just do it real quick here. To call somebody in that culture a dog was the biggest put-down you could give them. It was a mongrel. It was, these weren't house-trained dogs. These were, these were dirty animals. These were, you, it was a, the, one of the lowest forms of animal life that you could have. So to call somebody a dog was to, to be a big put-down. So it almost seems like what Jesus is saying to her is, listen, you know, I am here for my people. I am here for the Jewish people. I'm not here for the Gentiles. I'm not here for the dogs. And the question is, is Jesus being offensive to this woman? Now, the interesting thing is, Jesus uses a different word for dog here. He doesn't use that word for mongrel. He doesn't use that word. And, and the word used for dog here is, is going to go back to the American view. A little puppy, a little pet. So he's not insulting her. And she, interestingly enough, when we see her response, she's not insulted. She's not insulted. Notice her answer. She doesn't take offense. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And the point is, uh, even the, 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 the house pet, even the children, you know how children eat. It's, it's, like, it's like a path of food, right? Some of it's on the table, some of it's on the floor, it's all over the place. And, and even her point is, even the dogs, the little puppies on the floor eat, eat the crumbs, She is basically sparring with Jesus for the life of her daughter. The interesting thing that she's doing here is so significant. She's not claiming rights here. She's essentially saying, no, I don't deserve to be at the table. I'm not at the table. But the crumbs still will fall off the table, don't they? That's essentially what she's saying. She is throwing herself at the mercy of Jesus. She is demonstrating saving faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus was essentially saying to her, this is what he's saying to her, you have no right to be at the table. You have no right to be at the table. And she is saying, I know. I know I have no right to be at the table. Just throw me the crumbs. Just throw me the crumbs. She's making no demands. She has no basis. She knows she has no basis for her claims. She throws herself at the mercy of Jesus. She humbly accepts her unworthiness. She shows confidence and faith in the mercy and power of Jesus. That's all she does. Now, what we learn is very important for us because what we began to talk about was the problem with the world isn't the world, it's not the environment, it's us. It's the human heart. And until you come to a place where you see you are in desperate need because you have a broken heart and you have a heart that doesn't move towards God but moves away from God, and until you come to a place where you realize that only Jesus can cure your heart can take your hard heart and break it up and give you a new heart, until you come to that place, you will never find hope. You'll never find healing. You'll never find life. 
Notice how the woman could have responded. She could have been responded with too much pride. She could have said, how dare you say that I am unworthy? How dare you? I'm leaving. And she would have not found healing for her daughter. On the other hand, she could have responded with too much despair. She could have said, you're right. There's no hope for mercy for me and my daughter. And she could have walked away in despair. I'm too bad. I'm too, I've heard this. I've heard people say, I'm too big of a sinner. Jesus would never forgive me. So too much pride, you are offended and you walk away. Too much despair, you say, oh, you're right. I, I, there's no hope for me. And you walk away. And both times you walk away and you're not healed. Here's the point. If salvation is by sheer grace, and it is, that means that I am unworthy And yet I'm infinitely loved and valued by Jesus. It's two sides of the coin. We have to see both. See, religion causes us to believe that we are either worthy to be at the table. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. We're worthy. We deserve to be at the table. We've earned our place at the table. Religion causes us to either believe that we are worthy to be at the table or completely excluded depending on our performance. So you, religion causes you to believe that I deserve to be at the table or it causes you to believe I'll never make it to the table. I'm just not, never going to be good enough. That's what religion leads to. But saving faith shows that only as we call out to Jesus will we find grace and mercy. Here's, here's the point I want you to see. And I think it's in your notes. Only when you admit you're a dog under the table can you become a child at the table. You have to come to a place where you say, I'm lost, I'm broken, I'm, I, I can't save myself. I am not, not worthy to be at the... This is the woman. I'm not worthy to be at the table. I don't deserve to be at the table. But when we come to Jesus with that attitude, with that brokenness, And we say, Jesus, I throw myself at your mercy. He says, come to the table. Your invitation is through me. You are invited to the table because you have placed your faith and trust in me. Notice what Jesus says to the woman. It's very interesting. He says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. He goes, wow, this is great. You get it. You get grace. You get mercy. You get it all. You're an outsider. You aren't supposed to get this. These, these religious leaders are supposed to get it. My disciples are going to, supposed to get it, but they're dull in understanding. They don't even get it. But you get it. And I feel as though Jesus says your daughter has been healed. And I feel like when she's walking out, Jesus Beaming with a big smile. Right? Just smiling from ear to ear. So, so, you, so you say, well, why does Mark even bring this account in here? I think it's like and people say, well, you know, Jesus is trying to get away and all that stuff. And yeah, he was doing that, but here's what he was really doing. If you read John 4, it's very interesting. Jesus meets another woman, and she's a Gentile woman too. And it says in John's gospel, Jesus had to go through Samaria. 
the Samaritans, the hated Samaritans, right? And you say, well, why did Jesus go through Samaria when everybody else was walking around? Because he had an appointment with a woman who needed a new heart, who was relying on men to try to fill her life, and they weren't, it wasn't working. And Jesus says, stop relying on men and relying on me. I'm the one who created you in the first place. I got a plan and a purpose for your life. Stop asking men to give you what only I can. And the woman has a a transformation in her life because she realized the emptiness in her life can only be filled by Jesus. So this woman comes for her daughter and, and she comes and she says, Jesus, you're my only hope. And I don't think it was any accident. I think Jesus went there. Yes, he went there to get rest, but he went there for the woman, which shows us the grace isn't just for people who have arrived, who have lived a good life, who are morally good. It's for everyone. It's not just for the insiders, for the outsiders, for the marginalized. It's for everyone. Whosoever will may come is what the scripture says. What's going on here? Well, the religious leaders are busy following their man-made rules and regulations, trying to work their way to God. They're approaching God based upon their their work-based righteousness. They they think, well, I deserve to be at the table. I deserve to be there. Paul says in Romans, he says, you think because you call Abraham your father, you're in? Think again. You got problems and you don't even know it because you think your performance is going to get you, make you right with God. The disciples, it says here, are dull to the gospel. They don't get it yet. But this woman, a pagan who's far from God, she gets it. She understands her utter need for Jesus. She was the one who walked away and her daughter was healed. And I think Jesus had a grin. She threw herself at the feet of Jesus, begging for his mercy. She gets the gospel, and Jesus invites her to the table. He says, that's how you get to the table, right? You get there by faith. You don't get there by works. And really, that's the two approaches. See, we started out saying that the world is broken, but really we're broken, and the world around us may be broken, but we're contributing to that. And the real issue is that human beings are broken and we have destroyed the world and we're destroying relationships and we're destroying and until jesus gets a hold of our heart and changes us until we see our need then we're gonna still be breakers of relationships and people around us and the world around us but if we understand that problem and we come to jesus like the woman broken knowing that we don't deserve to be at the table, and we say, Jesus, I'm broken, and I don't deserve to be at the table, but I throw myself at the mercy of the cross. Jesus says to you, because you throw yourself at the mercy of the cross, there is grace for you. Come to the table. In other words, some people approach God based upon their own goodness. Lord, give me what I deserve. I deserve to be at the table. But the way of grace, the way of mercy is we come based upon his goodness. Lord, please give me what I do not deserve, what I could never earn, what I could never pay back. And that's what the woman did. The woman essentially said, I don't deserve to be at the table. Jesus says, oh yeah, you do. 
You don't deserve it, but you're invited. My daughter, you're a sinner, but you're my daughter. You're a sinner, but you're my son. How does that work? I don't know. By faith. That's the gospel. So Jesus says the problem with the world isn't the world, it's you. And the fix, come to me. I'm the only fix. And I will give you a new heart. That broken, selfish heart needs to be changed. And if you come to me and throw yourself at the cross, at the foot of the cross, call upon me. I'll give you a new heart. I'll change your life. I'll change your relationships. I'll change the whole direction of your life. And instead of you being a breaker of the world, you'll be a healer of the world. That's what Jesus teaches us in in this passage. Through a pagan woman. May we learn that lesson. Let's pray. Help us, Father, to learn this lesson because it's so important for us to hear. It's just a basic gospel. And it shows us that you don't have to know a lot about religion and even about the Bible. You can just come to Jesus with all your baggage, with all your needs, and say, Jesus, help. And when we do that, when we come by faith and throw ourselves at the cross, at the feet of Jesus, he says, even though you don't deserve to be at the table, I invite you to be part of my kingdom. I give you a new heart, and I want you to be at the table with me. Father, if there's anyone here who's trying to self-save themselves, may they give up that pursuit and throw themselves at the mercy of the cross, like the woman, and find healing and hope and a new heart. And Father, Change this world as you change us each individually as we give our hearts day by day and moment by moment to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.